Today on the Standing on the Shoulders of Giants podcast, we are going to go through one of the hottest technologies in existence at present, and that is Chat GPT. My name is David McKay. I'm the host of the Standing on the Shoulders of Giants podcast. A little background very quickly is I've been in technology for about 25 years. Google a couple of times, Microsoft a couple of times, bunch of different startups, and ChatGPT definitely is one of the most groundbreaking technologies that has ever existed in the span of my lifetime. So this is one to watch and one to listen to and one to pay attention to as time goes on. Today we're going to go through the history, we're going to go through the technical aspects, we're going to go through the best and for that matter the worst practices when using ChatGPT. But before we jump in, there is something to note. ChatGPT is not going to take your job, but someone who knows ChatGPT might. This is not something to skip over. ChatGPT is an extraordinarily important evolution in natural language processing and artificial intelligence, and for that matter, technology and humanity as a whole. This is a game changer outright. It is not an AGI, it is not artificial general intelligence. Something like the HAL 9000 computer from A Space Odyssey 2001. It's not the Star Trek computer. It doesn't even really think as a human being would, but it definitely has some very striking human characteristics, which we'll go through. Now, the AGI isn't here, and it won't be here for quite some time, if ever. But ChatGPT, it is possible that this is the landmark where they say, this might be where we started. So let's go through the history and background of ChatGPT without further ado. AI language models have a fairly rich history. The first one we can go through is starting with the Turing test. Alan Turing was a computer scientist and mathematician at my alma mater, Cambridge University. The Turing test is the ability to evaluate a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior. In other words, if you're in one room and something, either a machine or human being, is in another room, and you two are communicating via a keyboard and monitor so that you're not sure if you're chatting with a human being or a machine, if you're able to sit there long enough and not be able to distinguish whether or not it is a human or a machine, in other words, if it is a machine and it chats just like a human being, it is effectively past the Turing test. For some definition of the Turing test, it is possible that ChatGPT has passed, although ChatGPT itself will deny this. But for some definition of this, because the definition is somewhat subjective, it is possible that ChatGPT has actually passed this. In 1964, ELISA was introduced. ELISA is an early natural language processing program that simulates a Rogerian psychotherapist. Now, what that means is oftentimes it reflects exactly what the user has said back to them in sort of a questioning format or something of this nature. Now, it was an interesting program, but it was eventually paired with something called Perry, P-A-R-R-Y. This was a program also using natural language processing that was designed to simulate a schizophrenic patient. Now, they literally had these two things chat with each other, neither one actually understanding that it was chatting with a machine. 
The conversation went pretty sideways, but for 1964, it was an interesting experiment. Whether you believe it's ethical or not, well, that's a different conversation. Now, moving forward, in the 1980s, we invented something called RNNs, or Recurrent Neural Networks. A neural network is a simulation of the human brain inside of a machine. It's got neurons, and it's got connections between those neurons. And how we know where those connections lie and how strong the connections are is done inside of the neural network with varying things called weights. So, so a very strong weight versus a very light weight for things that are effectively related inside of a neural network. The recurrent neural network, or RNN, was capable of handling sequential data. In other words, it understood context, but the context was pretty short. In other words, it had difficulty doing multiple sentences. It could probably do about one sentence, but the next sentence after that would suffer from something called the vanishing gradient problem, where the further away words were, for that matter, words are also called tokens and symbols inside of natural language processing. The further away these words, symbols, or tokens were from each other, the more difficult it had keeping context. In 1997, this problem wasn't exactly solved, but it was definitely a better version of an RNN came out. That didn't necessarily solve the problem, but it definitely gave it much longer distances to keep context. And that is an LSTM, or Long Short-Term Memory Network. This is a type of recurrent neural network that is actually better suited for longer distances. In other words, keeping context and understanding things that it had previously said. This brings us to today. And the model behind ChatGPT is called GPT, or Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. That is the GPT in ChatGPT. This is a generative model. In other words, it generates text. This is a generative model. Is a function that can take a structured collection of symbols or tokens as input and produce a related structured collection of symbols and outputs. Now, what in God's name did I just say? The answer is it can take a bunch of words, understand those words, and then respond to those words in a related fashion. So if you asked, is the grass green outside? It could tell you, yes, the grass is green outside. And that's because the sun has shined upon it and it's well watered. Each one of those sentences in the human brain makes sense in context. But given that computers don't think like a human, even though we try to simulate those via neural networks, it doesn't necessarily make sense to a computer. And we'll get to why and how it's actually simulating human thought, or should I say human output, but not actually human thought. But the generative pre-trained transformer is a model that can take these inputs and produce related outputs. These outputs, or for that matter inputs, can be letters in a word, words in a sentence, sentences in a paragraph, or for that matter, pixels in an image, although that just happened, and we'll get into that. GPT-1 was introduced in 2018. This was the first version of GPT model that was released by the company OpenAI. It was trained with 117 million parameters. A parameter is something we use in artificial intelligence and natural language processing that are effectively weights. Think of these as the links in a spider web with each thread having a weight that's connected to the others. 
Heavier weights mean more probability and lighter weights mean less probability. And I'm sort of hinting at what we'll get into later, which is that ChatGPT is effectively a probability engine, but we'll get there. GPT-2 came out in 2019, featuring 1.5 billion parameters. GPT-3 came out in 2020. Now, ChatGPT didn't necessarily come out in its current form and general availability, but the model behind it did, and that's GPT version 3. This was the largest version ever with 175 billion parameters. This improved language understanding and generation capabilities infinitely over the previous models. The truth is, natural language processing is a very difficult problem to solve because the first 90% is actually not that difficult, but the last 5%, in other words, the last mile, it is infinitely difficult to get correct. And that's one of the reasons that it's taken so long for computers to be able to do this. The latest model is actually not GPT-3. The latest model is GPT-4, which came out in the past two weeks. Now, it is unknown the specifications on this, but one of the more unique things that has occurred is the ability to process images as input, although this is not currently available in chat GPT. And we'll sort of go through the new things that GPT-4 has given us. The technical aspects behind chat GPT start off with natural language processing as we've been talking about, or NLP. Natural language processing combines computer science, linguistics, and artificial intelligence to enable computers to understand, interpret, and generate human language. This is significant because artificial intelligence bridges the gap between human communication and machine understanding, thus enabling better machine and human interaction. Now, GPT-3's architecture is based on something called a transformer. That is the T in chat GPT. The transformer model was introduced in 2017, and it revolutionized natural language processing as we know it. The transformer architecture uses something called self-attenuation mechanisms to process input data in parallel rather than sequentially, improving efficiency massively. Now, what does this actually mean? Well, it means it can process the input data in parallel, meaning it doesn't read your sentence from left to right, it reads it all at the same time. It also starts spitting the output out such that it can understand exactly what you put in context and then spit out output that is in the context of your input and then it's in context of itself. Now, what that means is each time that you input something into chat GPT, it is effectively generating the text, the output on the fly. And this is why the transformer architectures are so important because you don't want the third paragraph that it gives you to be complete nonsense and gibberish. You want it to be related to what you actually put in there in the first place. And that's where these transformer architectures come about. The training process behind the GPT architecture is pretty interesting. It uses unsupervised learning and trained on a massively wide range of internet text sources. Now, you can look these up. You can literally Google the GPT sources on the internet and you can find exactly where they've been trained from. A lot of it is web pages, a lot of it is news articles, a lot of it is Wikipedia, among other sources. The second stage inside of training is called fine tuning. Now, the first stage, as we said, was unsupervised learning, whereas fine-tuning is supervised learning. 
it is using supervised data sets to improve performance. In other words, humans are explicitly tweaking the model for how it is fine-tuned to be able to use smaller data sets, to be able to improve performance across the board on a number of different areas, and that's called fine-tuning. The third way it's able to be trained is, in my opinion, ChatGPT's secret sauce, and that is the RLHF, or Reinforcement Learning with Human Feedback. Now, what is that? Well, when ChatGPT gives you a response, there is a thumbs up and there is a thumbs down. You can literally click them. It's right next to the answer that it gave you. And that's the simplest way of RLHF. Is, is this good in output or is this bad output? Another way that it weighs things is your responses to it. If it gives you a particular output, you can either type thank you or that was the right thing or for that matter, that was not the right thing or are you sure about that? in which case ChatGPT specifically double checks itself and the model learns over time upon related topics that it's not only been right about, but that it's been wrong about, such that human feedback can continue to tweak the model as things go forward. There are, however, some limitations specifically with ChatGPT. First things first, it can generate bias content. And it's not because the model itself is bias, it's because the training data is probably pretty biased. This should not come as a shock to anybody as the internet itself generates biased content all the time. It also might produce offensive content. Go figure. Offensive content on the internet. This probably is not something that is surprising to anybody. Now, one of the things that it does have a very strong limitation on is it has an inability to verify real-time data. As of this podcast, GPT cannot recognize anything past September 2021 because that is the last time the training data was updated. It takes a huge amount of computing power to update training data. So I wouldn't imagine that this thing is going to compete with search engines anytime soon. As a matter of fact, as we'll talk about, it's not a good idea to even think of it like a search engine. It has a complete inability to understand real-time facts and real-time knowledge of the present world. Oftentimes, ChatGPT also can output nonsense or have a lack of common sense understanding. For that matter, it may generate plausible sounding, but incorrect or for that matter, completely nonsensical answers. This is called hallucination. It's a bit of an overloaded term, and I'm not a huge fan of using that term, but this is what we call it when AI generates things that are effectively unexpected output. It's called hallucinations. Another thing to note about ChatGPT is it doesn't actually know facts, nor does it have opinions. It's a probability engine. And there is a non-zero chance you could get back absolute garbage, although the probability of that is very small. Now, before we dive into that, I want to say one more thing, and that is it's really bad at math. Really bad at math. I do want to get back to the probability engine, but before we do that, I just wanted to make sure that everyone was clear that don't do math with chat GPT. I know that it's weird because it's a computer generated output and you might say, well, why? Why wouldn't I do math with this thing? That doesn't make any sense. Computers are good at math. And the answer is computers are good at math when they're used in a computation form. But understand that this is a probability engine. So it's not doing math, it's giving you the probable output 
of what a math problem looks like if you're not doing math. I know that sounds kind of insane. You're almost like, wait, what, what did he just say? It's not doing the math in the way that a computer does math when you input numbers. It's doing math in the sense of if you looked at it at mathematics as a paragraph as opposed to a mathematical formula to be solved, that's what ChatGPT is doing. It's giving you the probable outputs of mathematics looked at through a language lens as opposed to looked at through a mathematical lens. So that's why it's bad at math. It's probability of math looked at through a language lens and not through a math lens. But that brings us back to the probability engine. ChatGPT at its fundamental core is a probability engine. It is entirely possible it could generate garbage, but that's a very low probability. It also will not generate the same exact output even if you give it the same exact input. And the reason for that is, and this is considered a feature, there is a small amount of randomness injected into ChatGPT every single solitary time you use it. And the reason for that is, ChatGPT was designed for humans to use, and humans are much more comfortable interacting with other humans as opposed to machines. Therefore, ChatGPT was designed to act similar to a human. And if you say something to a human being, you never actually know what the response is going to be. Thus, ChatGPT simulates this by inserting just a little bit of randomness into every single output. One of the more famous examples of this is if you ask it something about Bengal tigers. Well, some people got back responses that Bengal tigers are absolutely endangered, and other people got responses of they're not endangered at all. And still other people got responses of, well, they were endangered, but no longer. And the truth of the matter is, as far as ChatGPT is concerned, it doesn't really understand if Bengal tigers are actually endangered. What it's doing is it's giving you probability outputs. They may be endangered. They may not be endangered. And again, this is where the language that it's choosing is effectively one big probability engine game. That's what it's doing. Outputting the probability of things in context of what you asked. Now, this is important because it also affects how you should interact with this thing. And that is, you should probably interact with it more like a human being or as a digital servant. But we'll get into that. Before we jump into how to interact with ChatGPT and what the good and the bad of doing it are, the one last thing that I wanted to say is GPT-4 in particular introduces some brand new features. Now, GPT-4 is the model behind the latest version of ChatGPT. The model behind it was released just two weeks ago, and I believe it's only available on the paid version of ChatGPT. But if you go to Bing, because Microsoft has a partnership with OpenAI, I believe you can also engage with ChatGPT-4 and do some interesting things on the Bing search engine as well. So something to interact with there. And I think you just click on chat there. Regardless, it may ask you to jump through a couple of hoops as you do it. GPT-4, the model behind it, does have some new features. One of them is it can process images. It can understand what's going on inside of those images, and it can give you output, meaning text output, of exactly what's going on inside of an image. Now, today, even in the paid version, ChatGPT can't do this, but the model behind ChatGPT, GPT-4, actually can do it. 
So hopefully that'll be a feature that we see in the future. A second piece behind GPT-4, the latest model is, it aces the vast majority of standardized tests. In specifically, it passed the bar better than 90% of test takers. On top of that, it passed the LSAT or the law school entrance exam. It passed that better than 88% of test takers. So it really does have understanding of exactly the inputs that are coming into it, which is pretty interesting. One of the more unique things that GPT-4 did was someone drew a website on a napkin, very crude concept of a website on a napkin, took a picture of it and uploaded it to the model behind ChatGPT, GPT-4, and the output was the code to actually create that website, and the code not only worked, but the buttons were clickable, among other things, which is pretty interesting. That's definitely a game change for computer science as a whole, and for that matter, all of technology. Now, let's get into actually how to use this thing. How do we use ChatGPT in the best fashion? How do we do this? Well, first things first, don't use it as a search engine. Anything that you type into a search engine, you should probably stick with a search engine. GPT gets facts wrong a lot because as we said, it's not actually looking the fact up. It doesn't even have access to the internet in the traditional way that we would consider it something having access to the internet. It's just a probability engine. And again, based on whatever it is you inputted, the output might be completely random. So you wouldn't use anything that you're looking up factually inside of it. As a matter of fact, I would say that a search engine is a great companion to ChatGPT such that you can look up the facts that it's actually given you. That's the first thing. Secondary thing, it is not alive, even though it might seem like it is. It doesn't understand things in a human way, even though it seems like it does. This is called the ELISA effect. Now, the ELISA effect is when we anthropomorphize computers and assume that their behavior is similar to ours. It isn't, not at all. How do we use ChatGPT? We've learned how not to use it. We've learned the history. We've learned the models behind it and the technical architecture. So how do we use this thing correctly? There are some best practices. The first thing is treat this as a digital assistant with text input, text output, and roughly a human level of understanding context. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is you can actually have a conversation with it. When you type in best five restaurants in Paris, France, you would type that into Google and it would probably spit back some web websites that would give you their opinions on that. The thing is, if you type into Google, the next prompt you type in, no, I want five different restaurants. It will not understand that in the context of your previous search. This is not shocking to most people. Of course it won't. You just typed in completely different words. Why would it think you meant Paris again when you didn't type in Paris? This is where ChatGPT shines. It does understand things in that context. If you ask ChatGPT, give me five restaurants in Paris that I should visit, and it spits out five restaurants, you could literally say the very next thing inside of the chat, you could say, no, I don't like those. I want much more of a focus on ambiance as opposed to food. It will give you five different restaurants. If that's all you said, no, I don't like those. I want much more of a focus on ambiance as opposed to food. If that's what you said right there, it will understand that and give you five other restaurants inside of Paris, France. This technology can understand context like a human. 
and that's how best to interact with it. You want to give clear and accurate prompts providing specific instructions to guide the AI towards a desired response. So list five tips for X. But now that it's listed the five tips, you can have a conversation with it just like a human being. It understands that the context was list five tips for. So if you say, give me five more tips, it knows the context that you asked. And if you say, well, now switch to doing this, that's fine. It will keep now that context in mind. And again, that's the best way to interact with this is you give it commands as if it was a digital assistant that understands context. Step-by-step -step or explicit instructions. This is also a great way of interacting with it. Break down complex tasks into simpler steps. For instance, first explain concept X and then provide me an example. And that's exactly what it will do. And if you said, well, first explain computer science and then provide me an example of a programming language and it said Python, you could literally say, okay, tell me more about that. It will literally tell you more about that. Even though you didn't give it any context whatsoever, it understands the context just like a human being does. Another example would be setting context and providing the various examples inside of the context itself. So for instance, write a blog post on the environmental impact of electric cars, focusing specifically on topics like battery production and recycling. There you go. Not only will it write this blog post, but it will focus on those individual topics. But beyond that, if it gave you the blog post and it focused on one or the other, or for that matter, you wanted to add a third topic in there, like I wanna also focus on fuel efficiency. You can have it rewrite the paper by just saying, now rewrite the paper and focus on fuel efficiency in addition to the other two topics. It will literally understand that you have told it two previous topics, which were battery production and recycling, just like a human being would. There's also an iterative approach you can take where you can experiment and refine the prompts to achieve better results. One particular prompt I like to use is proofread and format this email I just wrote. Then I put a colon and then I paste the email. And that's what it does. It proofreads the email. Oftentimes it shortens it. And a lot of times it formats it in a better way than I was doing in the first place. But the most famous prompts for ChatGPT is, I want you to act as fill in the blank. When you're saying I want you to act as, you are telling ChatGPT how you want it to act. You are giving it the context that you want it to act. And then after that, you can ask it questions, or for that matter, you can give it even more specific instructions. An excellent prompt to start with is, I want you to act as a travel guide. I will write my location and you will suggest a place for me to visit near my location. In some cases, I will give you the type of places I wanna visit, and in other cases, I will give you the areas that I want to visit. My first request is, I'm in Austin, Texas, and I wanna visit only barbecue joints and museums. And it will output barbecue joints and museums. But you are able to interact with it now as a travel guide because you've given it the context. You can now type, okay, I want five more barbecue joints, and now I would like to be able to figure out where I can go paddleboarding on the river. And again, it will give you suggestions for that inside of the context of Austin, Texas. So just like a human being. Another prompt I've given it, 
I want you to act as an interior decorator. Tell me what kind of theme and design approach should be used for my room of choice, like a bedroom or a hallway or the kitchen. Provide suggestions on color schemes, furniture placement, and other decorative options that best suit the given design approach in order to enhance aesthetics and comfortability within the space. My first request is, I'm designing our living room and I prefer modern looks. And ChatGPT, from that point, will give you a whole host of things that it thinks will satisfy this. It will act as your interior decorator. It will try to basically design your living room and it will give you modern looks, modern color schemes. And if you don't like the color scheme, you can put in the next prompt of, I don't like that color scheme, adjust to use more green. Now, a lot of times, ChatGPT will actually use way too much green, in which case, your next prompt can be, that's too much green. Believe it or not, it will actually now output and give you green accents across the board, as opposed to a whole mess of green all over the place, which is what it did for my second prompt. My third prompt, when I said that's too much green, it went to accents. My point here is, you're able to continuously tweak the model as you would a human being, as you would in a conversation, because of the context that you're able to set for each one of these things. Now that is my best advice for how to use ChatGPT. You can literally ask it to act as anything. You can ask it to act as a psychotherapist, maybe like Eliza. You could ask it to act as a travel guide, as we just talked about. You could ask it to act as an interviewer, as if you were interviewing for a particular job. That way you can mock interview yourself. There's a whole host of things that you're able to ask this thing to do. And that's the whole point of ChatGPT is, I want you to act as X and then give it a whole bunch of context for exactly what you're looking for from it. And it will act as that during that particular conversation and keep all of that context in its so-called mind, or for that matter, memory, as you're going through and it will give you the appropriate responses back. That is how to use ChatGPT. There are some other ways that people do use ChatGPT that it's notably interesting and they're much smaller prompts, which is give me an outline for X or I'd like to do a blog post for this. In conclusion, we went through the history of AI language models. We went through NLP. We went through a number of technical aspects. We went through best practices. We went through practical applications of GPT. We've highlighted some of the benefits and for that matter, the limitations of GPT. But the one thing I would like to tell you at the end here is I encourage you to explore ChatGPT for your own purposes and realize this is just a tool to make humanity better. It's not the AGI and it's not coming for your job, but knowing it will definitely enhance your performance at your job and for that matter, your efficiency. It could also enhance your performance and efficiency in your personal life as well. You never know. If there's any feedback, I would love to engage with folks or if there's any questions, comments, or concerns, I am D-A-V-I-D-M-C-K-A-Y-V on all of the social platforms. That's David McKay V on every single one of the social platforms. I'd love to hear any questions, comments, or concerns that you've got on this particular topic, or for that matter, if there's other topics you'd like me to break down in the future. With that, we have been standing on the shoulders of giants. Thank you.